Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 9. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. If you've been with us, you know earlier... In the book of Acts, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, had been stoned. And don't you remember Stephen, he preached an awesome sermon. And uh, it was an amazing, awesome, awesome sermon. As Stephen would rehearse the history of the Old Testament. And I, I just love that as he knew the history of the Jewish people. And basically in that sermon, there in Acts chapter 7, he was accusing uh, the Jewish people of rejecting Jesus. And you remember, this really made them angry, and they began to gnash their teeth, and they ran upon Stephen, and they took him. And the Bible says that as they were stoning Stephen, that his face began to glow like that of an angel. And everyone heard him say at that point, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and they're stoning Stephen. And as I pointed out in previous studies, I think that Stephen received a martyr's grace. I just got to wonder if he even felt the stones hit him. And so Stephen's being stoned, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and then he began to pray for them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Sound familiar? Jesus said the same thing. So all of this is going on. Now, don't you remember Saul, Paul, is standing there. And Saul is an official. He is a a member of the Sanhedrin. So he's standing there watching. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, that he was consenting. In other words, he cast his vote to have Stephen stoned. So he's standing there, and people began to take off their coats and lay them at his feet because he was an official, and they didn't want any blood to spill on him. And so Saul is standing there. And he sees all of this, and he hears all of this, and and all of this has a huge impact on his life. And there's this huge mark on the soul of Saul. And while Stephen is being stoned, it pricked his heart. And what he was seeing was something that was real. And that reality began to churn over and over and over and over in his heart. And it's something that he has to deal with. And it's something that, watch this, made him angry. It made him angry. You know, oftentimes when God is trying to do a work in someone's life, it makes them angry. Remember I told you before, the person closest to salvation that you're witnessing to, the person closest to salvation is the one who gets the angriest at you. Remember, I told you, take a stone, throw it in a pack of wolves. The one that got hit is the one that howls the loudest. Remember that? Told you that? And so that's what's going on here. Saul is angry. He's got to deal with what he's seeing. And and he's prideful. And God is going to break that pride. 
and brought God is going to save Saul here in chapter nine, an amazing, awesome chapter of a man's conversion and how that happens. Look at Acts chapter nine, picking up in verse one, saints, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Then Saul in verse one, you see it. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, underline that, saints, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now stop right there, giving your attention. Acts chapter 9 begins by saying, Saul breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord in verse 1. Now notice here in verse 1 when it says that Saul is breathing out threats. You know, the idea, and when we think of threats, we think of, you know, like threats like, you know, man, I'm going to get you. Or man, you know what, I'll see you in court. You know, threats like that. That's our type of threats. But when the Bible talks about that Saul is breathing out threats, the language is much more intense. The idea is that, 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 that threatening and slaughter was at the very breath of Saul. In other words, there was nothing else on his heart and his mind, and the very passion of his life was to slaughter, persecute, murder, stamp out the disciples of the Lord. He, he lived it. It was in every fiber to kill the Christians. You know, it was Warren Wiersbe who gives us an idea of what kind of thoughts might have been going through Saul's mind. He says this, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Do you expect me to believe that a crucified nobody is the promised Messiah? According to our law, anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Would God take a cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? No. His followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and doing miracles through them. But this power comes from Satan, not God. This is a dangerous sect, and I intend to eliminate it before it destroys our historic Jewish faith. That might have been going through his mind, breathing out threats. Saul was a man who hated the church. Saul was a man who hated Jesus. Saul was a man who hated Christians. Saul was a man who hated anything that had to do with Christianity. And because of that hatred, he did everything in his power to destroy it. And so he goes to the high priest. He gets a warrant for the arrest of all Christians. Gets this warrant. And this warrant is that he might go into Damascus and find any who are of, look at it again in your Bibles, the way. Any who were of the way. Now listen, listen closely. This, this term, the way is actually a derogatory term. In the first century, in the early church, they would refer to Christians as those of the way. Almost like, you know, you, you guys are of the way. The, the way. Like a derogatory term. Now, where did they get that term? Well, that term began to be associated with Christians because it was a term that was associated with Jesus. Don't you remember when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so they took that term from the words of Jesus and began to use it in a derogatory way toward the Christians, those who were of the way, referring to the followers of Jesus. Saul would arrest them and bring them in handcuffs. 
And so he begins his trip to Damascus. But little did he know that his entire life was about to be changed. Damascus. Damascus, if you're taking notes, Damascus is about 140 miles north of Jerusalem. And Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the world, dating back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 2. Damascus at this time had a large Jewish population. History tells us that Nero killed over 10,000 Jews in Damascus. There were over 40 synagogues in Damascus. And so Paul is enraged because thousands have turned to this man, Jesus. Thousands have turned to the Messiah. And he hears that this way is spreading to Damascus. And so Paul heads out. No doubt on a high horse, because he was a high official, probably riding on a high horse, heading toward Damascus to kill the Christians. But God's going to knock him down and bring him low, because he was prideful. And we know that God hates pride. Why? Because at the center of pride is I. P-R-I-D-E. At the center of sin is I. S. I am. And God hates pride. And God's going to bring him down in love. Now watch this in verse 3. As he journeyed in verse 3, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Hey, the Lord that Stephen was talking about. And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he trembling, I would be too. And astonished, I would be too. Said, Lord, what did he say, saints? Read it with me. Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And then Saul arose from the ground. And when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there for three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now stop right there. Give me your attention. You got to get the scene here. Saul was traveling, angry, breathing out threats like a war horse, seeking to kill Christians, riding on a horse. And the Bible says a bright light shone. Acts chapter 26 verse 13 tells us that it was midday. It was midday and he said, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me. Now, if you've been to Israel, you know that a light shining brighter in the midday is impossible. Not unless it's supernatural. Because the light in the midday in Israel is incredibly bright. I mean, it's probably the brightest light I've seen been to several countries, and and it is incredibly bright. And so Saul says that this light was was brighter than the midday sun. Brighter. I mean, imagine how bright that would have had to be to outshine the sun. So Paul says it was so bright 
that it knocked him to the ground and he heard God speak. A bright light. Now there are always those, listen to me closely, there are always those who seek to discredit the miracles in the Bible. Higher critics who seek to discredit the miracles in the Bible. Oh, you know, I call them the higher critics from the lower pit. Seeking to discredit the miracles in the Bible. People will say anything to go to great lengths to try to disprove miracles. Well, listen at this. One guy gives a natural explanation. Listen to what he says. One of the earliest suggestions to a more natural explanation was that Paul was suffering from epilepsy. That on the road to Damascus, he was suddenly seized by epileptic fits. And as he fell to the ground in this seizure, he imagined that he heard voices. That's stupid. That's just stupid. You know, it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who remarked to this. He said, oh, blessed epilepsy. Would that every man in London could have epilepsy like that. I like that. You know, I believe Saul pulled the trigger on Christians and Jesus put his finger in the gun barrel and it backfired and flashed in his face. That's what I believe happened. So this light shines from heaven. He falls to the ground. He hears a voice. Later in the book of Acts, he tells us, and here in our text, actually, he tells us that there were men with him who heard a sound and fell to the ground. And Saul clearly heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul. And I'm sure it freaked him out. Have you ever been alone and you hear something and it freaks you out? Just the other week, I was home alone. I'm not easily scared. I'm home alone, and, and, and I'm in the back, and, and I heard something up, it just kind of crashed. I heard something up front. So immediately, I grabbed the iron. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm coming out of the room, you know. I'm coming, I got the iron in my hand, you know. And, and, you, know, and I, you know, I didn't know what was going on out there. I got the iron, and I'm standing at my bedroom door, and I'm like, I got a gun. I'm coming out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot somebody. I got a gun. And then I walk out there and I go, oh, mom, I didn't know you were here. Oh, my goodness, I'm sorry. But it scared me. It freaked me out. And I'm sure that Saul, he was like freaked out. This voice just comes out of nowhere, a voice from God. The Bible says a voice from heaven. And it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now watch this. Listen carefully. When you study the Bible, it is very important that you get the right tone. Tone is everything in the scriptures. Tone is everything. Don't you remember when God said, Adam, where art thou? You know, I, I don't hear God saying, Adam. Where are you, you low-life sinner? I don't get that tone from the text. I get more of a tone of, Adam, where are you? Did God know where Adam was? Of course he did. But God was saying, Adam, where are you? So that Adam would know where he was. So that Adam would know, Adam, you're far from God. Adam, where are you? Tone is everything. And here we have a voice from heaven Tone is everything. Did God say, Saul, Saul? What are you doing? 
killing all the Christians. I don't, I don't hear that. I hear the heart of a broken father. I hear Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Watch this, me, me. Isn't it interesting? Don't you find it interesting? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the Christian folks? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church folks? He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What does that tell us? That tells us that God has a connection with his people. That God had, don't you remember Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And you gave somebody a cold drink in the name of the Lord, then you have done it as unto the Lord. If you fed someone or clothed someone in the name of the Lord, then you have done it unto the Lord. And if you persecute a believer, and if you persecute a Christian, you are persecuting Jesus. That's why it is very important for people to treat God's people appropriately. Amen. Well, Rodney, I didn't got passed over for a promotion at the job. Well, I didn't get treated fairly at school. Listen, God will deal with that. He's your avenger. Amen. Jesus has this relationship with his church, a connection between Jesus and the church because he loves his people. There's a unity between the Savior and the saints, the head and the body, the vine and the branch, the shepherd and the sheep, the groom and the bride. There's a relationship there. And so the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Did you see that? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad was a long, extremely sharp stick. And I've told you this in, in time past. Was, was a large stick, really sharp point on the end. That was used to get an ox going in the right direction. To get an ox to go the way that you wanted him to go when you were pl plowing. So you would jab the back of his leg until the ox co cooperated. And like a dumb, stubborn ox, yet valuable, Jesus is goading Saul into the right direction. God kept poking the persecutor. And the more he resisted, he was hurting himself. God poked him first with Stephen's witness and Saul kicked. And since Stephen's death, there was a knot inside of him eating him. He probably couldn't sleep as he heard Stephen say over and over, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then God poked with each and every testimony and prayer of the saints that Saul persecuted as they tried to do what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Jesus said, do good to those who hate you. Jesus said, pray for those who use you and persecute you. And Saul continued to kick. And can I tell you something? There are a lot of people, even today, saints, unfortunately, that are kicking against the goad. There are a lot of people today that are hurting themselves. There are a lot of people today who are like Saul trying to resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Is that you? Is that you? Are, are you one that God is saying, look, I, I want you to do something different in your life. I want you to do something different in your marriage. I want you to move out. I don't want you living together. 
because I've got a plan for you and I've got to work for you. And inside you're like, no, I can't. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. Listen, you're only hurting yourself. God's got a better plan for you than where you are. And every time we disobey God, we only hurt ourselves because God loves us and God cares for us. And God's got the best for you. And Jeremiah says, I've got a plan and a purpose for you. A plan that is good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. God wants to do that. But every time you, oh, I don't want to do it. <clears throat> and you don't obey that conviction. See, conviction is good, saints. Listen to me close. Conviction is good. You understand that? Say amen. Conviction is good. Condemnation is bad. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Listen, condemnation is of the devil, but conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something, listen, can I encourage you? Obey God. Somebody say amen. amen. <coughs> Always obey God. I don't know how. Just obedience, that's all. What's going to result? Just obedience. I don't understand it. Obedience. Don't find yourself like Saul kicking against the goads. Well, look at verse 6 in your Bible. Saul was trembling. Saul was astonished. And he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Now here in verse 6, I believe in verse 6, and you might want to write this in your margin. I believe at this point, Saul becomes a believer here in verse six. I believe he becomes a Christian. He just called Jesus Lord. Remember Jesus, the one he hates. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And like a good Pharisee, listen to me, because, you know, Pharisees were legalists like a good Pharisee. Isn't it interesting that he would say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, Pharisees are like that. You know, I got to do I got to work. I got to do something. Lord, what do you want me to do? And Jesus said, get up, go into the city, and it will be told to you what to do. Remember last week where you hear, we talked about progressive revelation. Remember that? And we talked about progressive revelation, meaning that God is going to tell you to do one thing and expects you to do that one thing before he tells you the next thing. And oftentimes we want step one, two, three, and four before we decide to obey step one. And God says, no, it's progressive revelation. I'm going to give you step one and I want you to obey step one. And then I'll show you after you obey step one, step two. And then I'll show you step three. Well, here we have in our text here a classic example of that. Notice God didn't lay it all out for him. God didn't say, well, Saul, you know, get up, go in the city. And then I'm going to have you to go into Arabia for three years. And then you're going to, you know, make some friends and. Get acquainted with the disciples and then you're going to write two thirds of the New Testament and then you're going to change the world forever and ever and ever. And, then, and you're going to be blessed and be a mighty man of God and all of these things are going to work out for you. God didn't lay it all out for him like that. God told him, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? God says, get up and go in the city. Is that it? Yeah. Obey that one first. Get up and go into the city. And he was expected to obey. And mind you, at this point, he is blind. God says, what do you, he says, what do you want me to do? You know, people here, they come to the church and they're blessed and they're excited and it happens all the time and people get saved. 
And, you know, it's a tendency, a natural tendency for us to, to think, you know, I, I just got saved. Lord, what do you want me to do? People come to the church and they say, you know, Pastor Ryan, I love the church. I love this church. Oh, it's such a blessing. And how can I serve the Lord? And I say, well, how long have you been coming? Oh, this is my first day, but I want to know how, you know, how can I serve the Lord? What do you want me to do? And I say to him, just sit down. Is that it? Yeah, just get a seat. Is that all you want me to do? Yeah. See, I think it's important that we not get too caught up in what we can do for the Lord, but be more concerned with sitting and getting to know the Lord before we start to try to serve the Lord. You know, we see that all the time in in media. We see it all the time when, when athletes get saved, when famous people get saved. The very first thing you hear, they got some crusade going. Or, or, or they get saved this week, next week you hear in the news that, that they've been, they're an ordained minister. Remember when little Richard got saved? <laughs> Y'all remember that? Little Richard, next week little Richard was, woo! <laughs> he was an ordained minister. Do you remember, am I the only one that, Hey, wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. All right, well, that's five of us that heard it at least. I mean, I was like, what? Wait, what? Uh huh? Or some, you know, football athlete, he gets saved, and before you know it, they're an ordained minister. What do they do? Listen, listen, it is more important that you learn to, that you get to know God than you start serving God. You see, God is, loves the servant more than he loves the service. God loves the servant more than he loves the service. And too often we are trying to do the service without taking time to get to know the Savior. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.